We're talking about the theme of faith, and we're going to be talking about faith as focus on Christ, and we're going to be contrasting that understanding of faith from two common misunderstandings regarding faith. Faith, it's one of these Christian words, Christian terms, Christian expressions, which even while so many people have turned against Christianity, still remains pretty popular today. I mean, after all, you can go into Target and you can buy a placard for your kitchen that extols faith. You can find something that says something like, in this household, we believe in faith, fun, family, and things like that, right? Faith remains popular. And I suppose, in a way, that's a window into Christianity, but uh, really, the understanding of faith is, is probably a little bit deficient and a little bit generic. Um, I think it'd be really cool if you could go into Target and see other Christian terms on placards there. I mean, wouldn't that be cool if you found something like said, in this household, we believe in the unity in trinity in the trinity in unity or in this household we believe in justification by grace through faith alone but that might be asking a little bit too much but because faith is such a popular idea in the common culture my fear is that maybe we might be led astray by common understandings of faith rather than the christian understanding of faith and so that's our point for today, to help us clarify a little bit what, what Christian faith is and what Christian faith isn't. Faith that's at the center of our gospel lesson today. It's at the very center. And one thing that's really interesting is that faith is at the center of, of all of these storm on the sea accounts. Every single one of the gospel has at least one, if not a couple accounts of Jesus showing his divine majesty on the Sea of Galilee, whether through the calming of the seas or in this case, the calming of the seas and as well walking on water. Every single one of them has to do with faith. And every single one of them has to do with by with faith by showing what faith isn't or showing what is opposed to faith. And this one is no different. It's, it's very interesting. Every single one of these accounts has something really equivalent where it contrasts faith on the one hand with fear on the other hand. So we see this in our uh, gospel lesson for today. It says when the disciples saw him, Walking on the sea, they were terrified, and it said, it is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And then it reiterates this point that fear is opposed to faith. It says, when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Fear is opposed to faith, and faith frees us from fear. We talked about that a couple Sundays ago. 
So we're going to leave that aside for today. But this passage is interesting because it goes one step further than all of the other similar passages. And that while it shows what faith is not, this shows us what faith is. When did Peter have courage? The opposite of fear, which itself is the opposite of faith. Peter had courage when his focus was on Christ. Jesus crawls out and says, take heart, do as I do not be afraid. And, and Peter, then his focus is on Christ. And he says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. His focus is on Jesus. And because his focus is on Jesus, his faith is on Jesus, Jesus is able to work this great miracle in Peter. Not that Peter's faith enabled Jesus to do it, but rather Peter's faith enabled him to receive the miracle that Jesus had always been able to do and offered. And so Peter, his focus is on Jesus, but then his focus begins to waver. Instead of being focused on Christ, when he's almost up to Christ, it says he saw the wind. His focus is no longer on the Lord. And he becomes distracted by the threats that surround him. The threats which more or less all arise on account of the wind. And as his focus is taken off of Christ, and his focus instead is on the threat around him, he becomes afraid. He loses faith. And he begins to sink. And as he begins to sink, interestingly enough, what happens is focus comes on Christ again he cries out to Christ Lord save me and Christ does in fact save him takes him by the hand bears him to the boat places him in and calms the sea faith this passage shows us that one way we could talk about faith one way we could describe faith is this focus on Christ. And there's many ways we could talk about faith. There are many descriptions we could give about faith, but that is certainly at least one of them. Focus upon Christ, His divine power, and His ability to work miracles in us, which we'll get to that a little bit later. So faith is focus on Christ, and this helps us to evaluate some common misunderstandings of what faith is. And there's lots of misunderstandings about what faith is. I just want to talk about two of the common misunderstandings of what faith is today so that this will help clarify the nature of faith in Christ. This focus on Christ, which will then enable us to, in fact, focus on Christ. So... Many people consider faith, for example, to be what we might call 
uh, an obtuse optimism. So the kind of optimism that ignores all the threats, all the dangers, all the changes, all the chances around us. The kind of optimism that, that buries its head to all the chaos and cruelty, all of the consequences of sin in this world. That's what some people believe faith is. This kind of Pollyanna-ish optimism which ignores all the problems and all the threats around us. That's not authentic Christian faith. It's actually, interesting enough, I believe it's a perversion or a weakening of one of the benefits of faith because faith offers something far greater than just this obtuse optimism. See, Christianity takes stock of and acknowledges all the threats around us. That's part of Christian faith. Christian faith is focused on Christ. And who is Christ? He was the one who was a man of sorrows and well acquainted with grief. He was a man who was, in the words of the prophet Isaiah, stricken, smitten, and afflicted. He is the one who bore the shame of us all. He was the one who was delivered up to Pontius Pilate by the authorities. He was the one who the mobs called and cried out, crucify him. He was the one who was beaten in the courts of Pontius Pilate. He was the one who bore his own instrument of death, the cross, up unto the hill of Calvary. He is the one who, on that Mount Calvary, on Golgotha, died. He is the one who is laid into the grave. And so if we're going to focus on Christ, if that's what faith is, we will be well aware of all of the threats that continue to threaten those who follow in the way of Christ. Individual Christians. And Christians as a community, the Holy Christian Church. There are threats to our left and to our right. There are changes and challenges and chances all around us. We don't ignore that. We don't bury our heads to be obtusely optimistic. We acknowledge such things. But because of our hope in Christ, our faith in Christ, we have something far greater than obtuse optimism. I spilled the beans just a second ago. We have hope. Because on the other side of those afflictions of Christ, on the other side of Calvary, on the other side of the grave, is the resurrection. The defeat of death. Victory over death. 
the victory over death and the grave by means of the death and the grave. And so therefore, we Christians have hope. We have hope twice over. We have hope on the one hand in the knowledge that even as Christ overcame, so also we have the hope and the sure confidence, the courage and the knowledge that so too we will overcome. On the great and final day when Christ returns and power and might and glory. That's not the only means by which we hope and in which we hope. No. We not only hope despite all of the changes and challenges and chances of this life, all the threats around us, but even through them. As St. Paul says, Rejoice in our sufferings. Rejoice in our sufferings. Yes. Because through our sufferings, we are conformed to the image of Christ. Or to put it in long form, as St. Paul says, suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us through Jesus Christ. To put it another way, we are confident in Christ. Our focus is on Christ who we know reigns not only despite all of the dark things we see around us, but even in a way which is mysterious to us, yet we can trust in through them. That, by the way, is the message of the book of Revelation. People, my goodness, make Revelation to be one of the most complicated books out there when really the message of Revelation is probably the most simple message in all of the scriptures. The message of the Revelation is this. That Jesus Christ is Lord and reigns not only despite all of the threats that surround Christians and all of the threats that surround the church, but even through them. And Jesus Christ is working His will by means of all of these things. That is our hope. No, Christian faith is not an obtuse optimism. Nor is it a belief in just mere moralism. That's the other way that many people consider faith. Many people believe that Christianity is just a mere moral code. Now don't get me wrong about this. Christians ought to seek to lead moral lives. Christians ought to seek to obey the law. But Christianity is something far richer than a mere moralism. See, moralism might have some utility in the greater world, in the wider world on on this side of heaven. Uh, Moralism through the, the means that it works through things like shame or desire for honor or or fear of punishment. 
moralism can certainly bring an outward conformity in this world. And because we are so surrounded by those who do not have hearts in the way of Christ, it has some utility that way. But moralism has its limits. And interestingly enough, moralism can actually work counter to the desires that people wield it for. So let me give you an example for this. Uh, how many of you, and you don't have to raise your hands or anything like this, but I'm guessing many of you have witnessed someone, uh, known someone who grew up in an extremely, very, very, very strict household. Okay? And someone who, you know, there was very, very limited ways for which them to go. And that person, once they got independent and once they got on their own, they veered completely off the course that their parents had set for them, right? They, they just went haywire and, and their life became almost the exact opposite of the way that their parents had laid out for them. What happened there? Is it because the, the kid didn't know right from wrong? No, the kid knew very well what was expected of him or her. They knew the way their parents expected them to live. What was the problem? That young person wasn't taught to love the good. They were taught what good and right is, but they weren't taught to love the good. Their heart wasn't in it. Because his or her heart wasn't in it, that individual used the knowledge of what was right and wrong in order to rebel. You see, that's the problem with mere moralism. It can bring external conformity, but it doesn't affect the heart. It doesn't teach you to love what is good. And that's how Christianity offers something. Authentic Christian faith offers something far better than a mere moralism. It offers transformation of the heart. Faith, it's focus on Christ. Christ, who is the very personification of love. Christ, who out of his love for you did not consider equality with God something to be clung to, but instead took the very form of a servant and humbled himself to death, even death on the cross. Christ, whose love was so great for you, they did that thing which love has none greater than, than to give up his life for his friends. To give up his life for you. So that your sins would be forgiven and you might have eternal life. And when we hear this gospel message, the Spirit uses that gospel message to transform our hearts into hearts of love. 
hearts that now instead of having hearts of fear towards God as a stern judge, now have hearts of love towards God as a loving father. Which now seek to obey God, not out of fear, not out of external compulsion, but rather seek to obey God to delight the Father because our hearts love the Father. Faith and its focus on Christ, the very personification of love, transforms our hearts so that now they not only love the Father, but they also love each other. For Christ dwells within us. St. Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now our hearts are turned towards our neighbor, even as the heart of Christ was for our neighbor and died for our neighbor. Our hearts are turned in love towards the neighbor as well, so that we seek to do good by our neighbor, not in order to avoid shame, not in order to gain praise among men, but rather simply for the sake of Faith, it's not mere moralism, but it offers something far greater than mere moralism can offer. Transformed hearts, hearts of love. Faith, hope, love. This is what Christ gives us. As we focus upon Christ in faith, hope is enlargedness. Love is poured into our hearts. This great miracle of transformation by means of Christ, a transformation made possible through faith. But it's not the only miracle that Christ has in store for us by means of faith. Peter, when his faith was in Christ, was able to walk on water. Jesus gave him the command, come. And because of his faith, not that his faith empowered Jesus, but rather that through faith, he was able to receive the power that Jesus had in store for him. Peter was able to step out of that wooden vessel of the ship and to walk on water and to come to the Lord Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus has even greater miracles in store for you by means of faith. For the time will come, the day will come, when there will be another cry of command issued forth. On that day, as the book of Revelation says, the Spirit and the Bride say come. And let the one who hears say come. And when we hear that cry of command on that great day, the day of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will step forth.
from our vessels, not the wooden vessels of a ship in the water, but the wooden vessel of our coffin. And on that day, we will not tread on the waters of the sea, but we will do something far greater. A greater miracle will be worked in us. On that day, we will tread on the shores of the new heavens and the new earth. And on that day, even as Peter tread the waters and came to the Lord Jesus Christ, so also on that day will we see our Redeemer eye to eye and face to face. So brothers and sisters in Christ, let us keep our eyes on Christ. Let us keep our focus on Him so that our hearts would be transformed into hearts of hope, transformed into hearts of love, and so that the greatest miracle of all, of all can be worked in us, the miracle of the resurrection unto eternal life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please rise for...